Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Hi, hi. Hi. What's going on in the world this week? Well, we we watched some trash on YouTube about people blowing up a Toontown. <laughs> yeah, the Toontown video. Everybody's seen this already. I think people probably already have their thoughts on it. I just really want to know who the guy in the red backpack is. The guy that he did came, the, he saw, he went. Benny Vidivici. Yeah, no, that's the guy that did the sleeper chokehold, and he just like vanished. He was like a ninja. I'm glad you pointed that out. That was one thing I had not noticed. I mean, it, it is a Where's Waldo painting. I mean, I, there's so much to observe. I'm sure a lot of conspiracy theorists podcasts oh think that God. he's like an undercover Disney cop, or well, there's at least one out there already saying it's fake news. So I don't know. Whatever. This is this is what you get from postmodernism. There is no reality anymore i don't know what to believe but you know what you will believe in <laughs> the cats trailer yes get ready for the holidays <laughs> you will believe um uh, yeah what are your, what are your thoughts i know i've made you watch it many times <laughs> my thoughts about this are my thoughts always are about cats which is it was this thing that was wildly popular in the 80s uh when i was growing up and then it very quickly, people began to sort of distance themselves from this. They're like, no, no, we don't talk about cats. And cats became very much sort of like it was put away in the closet for a long time. And I don't know that the world was asking for this. I feel like the people who are in it are asking for it and we're supposed to have a good time along with them. I don't know. I, But uh, also, I love that Judy Dench is like, well, whatever. I'm not going to be around for too many more years. So let me just do some cats. And, you know, I forget the character that she's playing in this. uh, But that's the the doyen of the cats, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. So, of course, Judy Dench is the only one that has, like, a cool story. Because, you know, she was originally supposed to be in Cats, the original 
production, but she like broke uh. her leg or twisted her ankle or busted a tooth or something. You know what? It's for the better because we got all those fantastic films that she was in later, and that probably would not have happened. Oh, if she had been stuck in Cats <laughs> in like 1987 or whenever this was going on. Yeah, I can't remember what cat she was gonna be, but uh, yeah. So that's that's the only thing that's interesting about this to me, and I I don't love cats like you're saying. I don't know who actually does love cats it's just one of those it was just like just so on everybody's you know popular consciousness at the time and then it just went away well it did something very different than most like broadway and western productions did so i think people credit it for that but then like nobody actually is like really totally fucking into cats are they i don't know i'm not i just remember drama nerds in high school would um have like that poster in their bedroom sometimes and that was about it but nobody ever actually talked about cats yeah i mean there's great songs in cats and there's great mm, choreography there's a couple of great songs well memory and is iconic okay song but as a whole package i don't know if cats has like the kitten caboodle <laughs> <laughs> well what did you think about the actual trailer like how the cats look because everybody keeps talking well about i mean that. everybody's already had plenty to say about all of that i don't think i have much more to contribute other than it is kind of creepy af and a little bit it's like that valley of the uncanny i guess yeah and that's what everybody's saying. so i'm just gonna be hung up on that the whole time and also it had this sort of like moulin rouge thing which i know a lot of people thought that film was like high camp or something but i think it's a pretty unwatchable film on a level of being good or a level of being bad it's good and i think this film kind of has that same issue going on just based on the trailer of course i haven't seen it so let me just prejudge all i want here well, yeah, for everything that's wrong with it, and it's funny you bring up Moulin Rouge, I won't tell the story about what happened when we went to go see Moulin Rouge, <laughs> and you were basically ostracized in the theater for laughing the entire time. But Well, I guess I was the only one who recognized it as high camp in the beginning, but I quickly did not like the film, and I don't ever want to watch it again. And now everybody's like discovered it, like, oh, remember that bad movie? It's actually really good. And it's like, eh, no, it was bad. Well, it comes full circle, because now you know Moulin yeah. Rouge is going to Broadway, right? Yeah, it's like the, the wheel of sarcasm has come full around and smacked me on the ass. Yeah, I just, I can't get into any of this. I can't get into the Moulin Rouge Broadway show. I can't get into Cats, the movie. It's like, oh, just come up with something original. I'd I'd watch Dynasty on Broadway, though. Oh, my God. That would, well, first of all, it would be a tragedy. You can't do musical with it. I don't, God, dude, could you imagine musical with Dynasty? I don't even see how that would work. Maybe opera. I don't know. Oh, okay. I could see a, a grand opera of Dynasty. Sure. They actually referenced Pavarotti in this week's episode and the opera. So yeah. it's all connected. Well, should we just get into this week's episode? I feel like we do have a lot to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked this episode. Not quite as much as the last one, but I mean, they're really dialing it up this, this like end of the season. So. Yeah. You can tell they've definitely found the rhythm yes and we are playing they have laid the the foundation for miss joni to come in later so uh i don't know i don't know we'll talk about that later but yeah let's just quit talking about broadway and start talking about dynasty honey yeah please come on Welcome back. Oh my God, this is the first episode with a murder. I guess it is. I mean, you've seen everything else, but now we have a murder. A murder. 
All right, but let's not start with the murder. Let's start uh, with the necklace. Am I qualified as manslaughter, though? So where do we start? I think all I think of this... let's just wrap up all this necklace nonsense. Yeah, there's I more mean... necklace stuff, and it really comes to a head finally. And I love how dramatic it was. Yeah, no, it was. This was a well done suspense. You know, whereas a lot of times there's like moments of suspense that are not all that suspenseful in this season so far. But this is this is pretty well done. I mean, the way it's intercut uh, between Linda Evans and and you know John Forsyth. And the jeweler, who's this like, I don't know if he's a character actor or if he just did a one-off here, but he's just, you know, he's got this like amazing look and. Oh yeah. He was cast in this role and and he's like, (laughs) I am going to steal this little scene. I want this guy to be my uncle or something, you know, like I need to have him over for cards or something. Yeah. He was great. So yeah, basically Blake takes Crystal to a jeweler to have the emerald necklace appraised. Totally surprised by this. She was pretty shook, I think. She didn't expect that to happen. And they're sitting there, and she realizes... Oh, he's a total masochist, because like, they pull up in the limo in front of Channing's, which I guess is the jeweler. Mr. Channing. And, and uh, she sees this, and she's like, oh, shit. You know, this is like when we take our dog to the nail clipping salon, and like he realizes, oh, wait, I know where we are. I don't want to go in here. <laughs> right. He's like all excited <laughs> to go somewhere, and yeah. then it's like, oh, I'll just no. stay here in the car. You guys go have fun. <laughs> and yeah, Blake's like, no, no, you first, you know? And like he's just like relishing... All, all of the, the mud that he's dragging her through for this. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were playing cat and mouse games in last week's episode. This isn't even like a game. This is just like torture that Blake is administering onto Crystal. And the surprise is it's not a fake. It's the real necklace. Well, I mean, this is this is good suspense because you haven't really, you know, you've been sort of lied to earlier that some man from South America bought it and, and kissed that necklace goodbye. And here they are appraising what she thinks is the fake necklace. And uh, Right. Just when you think like Blake's depths of depravity right. can't reach any lower, mm-hmm. he has known about everything that Crystal's done with the necklace the entire time. And set her up yeah and i think my only real problem with all this is how blake is like this annoying like sky god patriarch all-knowing always working in the background it's pretty fucking ridiculous yeah and you know it's like okay but but it makes for a great scene here and and he's looking at her and she's looking at the jeweler as he receives the appraisal and you know we're all just wondering like oh wait wait till blake finds out that this necklace is worth like 28 dollars or something and you know the jeweler is like, oh man, you got a good deal on this. This thing's worth seventy thousand. Yeah, he know? paid sixty k, and it's actually worth seventy k. So they're rolling in the dough here, and she sold it off for forty k. So the math really comes out in Blake's favor. She's probably kind of pissed him, about that too. She's like, God damn it, I could have gotten so much more for this <laughs> thing. But. Yeah, so she realizes that that's the real necklace, and she starts piecing it together. And they go back to the Carrington Mansion, and I love it. Blake... First thing in. (laughs) Send a couple of glasses to the library, because, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have ourselves a confrontation. We're going to have a showdown hoedown. Mm -hmm. And I I like the choice of brandy in the day. It's, It's sort of a neutral... You know, it's like it's not celebratory. You don't drink brandy to celebrate something. You you drink it to meditate your, or medicate yourself. 
And so, yeah, I think that they, they, and they're also, did you notice they're like sitting very confrontationally as well? Like they're, they're blocked like on couches opposite of each other. Yeah. I mean, I think the it's, brandy it's very was really just lubing them up to completely, it was truth serum because this is the moment where they're finally being honest with each other. Like the walls are down. Blake says, well, you've learned your lesson. I set this all up. And Crystal... But again, he's a masochist. He he stages this moment in the library with, with you know, bring the brandy and we're going to sit like uh, tete-a-tete like we're in a wrestling match. And he waits for her because he knows like she can't take it anymore and she's going to eventually have to say something. Oh, no, I don't agree. I think that he thinks that he is the end-all, be-all puppet master and he says well i think you've learned your lesson no he says that after she brings it up she's like i know what this is all about Uh, you knew about the necklace all along why'd you do this no this really is a moment for crystal to confront blake more than she's ever confronted him before even considering he like raped her a couple of weeks ago she is taking him to task for orchestrating this crazy scheme no, and for I, continuing I think to try to take Matthew She's Blaisdell on the defense down. at this point. He's taken her to task and raked her over the coals and all the other things. No fucking I, way. She wants to know why he's doing all of this to destroy Matthew Blaisdell. But he's totally unfazed by this because this is the reaction he wants. He wants to see her agitated and stirred up and this is a highly negative interaction. No, no, no. She he says it herself. You may think I did something wrong. I don't. Oh, perhaps you'd like me to believe that Matthew Blaisdell should be some sort of charity of mine. That he lies somewhere between the Red Cross and Boys Town. What is this obsession you have with destroying Matthew Blaisdell? I said that it was over. Let it pass. It's not over. It won't be over until I sign some kind of affidavit saying I am not sleeping with Matthew behind your back. Until I agree to be locked away in this castle like Rapunzel. Talk to no one, see no one, and only come out when you choose to display me on bank holidays and St. Valentine's Day. And she's totally standing up for herself. And in a way for Matthew Blaisdell, because a yeah, lot of this is just to fuck him over. Uh, Blake doesn't really respond to it to any any great degree. I mean, he's not really entertaining anything that she has to say, which is another one of his negotiation tactics. Oh, he responds like, to it later. And by responds, I mean downs an entire bottle of scotch in the middle of the night because he can't Well, that's for his it. own private issues. That's, that's not something he's expressing to her, and he's not going to give her that power. Oh, no, I don't think he's expressing that to her, but I think... One leads to the other. They have this confrontation, and then he goes off to see Stephen Carrington. But how does he deal with it later? At the bottom of a decanter. Well, I think this is this is just you know good TV for the times because I'm sure everybody was at home having the same conversation. Which side are you on, Blake's or Crystal's? Oh well, I'm not saying I'm yeah. on Blake's side, not at all. He's a villain, and the only way I can watch this show and not want to like. No, but there's there's the thing where like the him. villain is so good and like so nasty and bad like that you're like oh man this guy's doing it you know, but I think there's a lot of people who would look at this and be like no Crystal's like she's got the upper hand but I don't think she does on this one I I think she's kind of been not checkmated but she's been put in a position on the chessboard where she's gonna have to start you know rearranging some alliances and uh, that's called out in a moment when the butler comes in after he after Blake leaves. 
and has this little nasty interaction with her about you're not welcome here and I am. Yeah, know? I mean, to me, it's pretty inconsequential because the butler doesn't really hold any power. But he does kind of shade her when she asks him to. Take That's the, the power he away. has, though, because he's a subservient. But he gets to, to talk that way to her, and she can't really do anything about it. And she's not in a moral position to do anything. Well, about it. Joseph gets off on it, but Crystal has bigger fish to fry. Like, she, like I know in the beginning of this season, she was dealing with the household issues, but like. Oh, no. She's giving up at this point. She don't give a shit about all that stuff. Yeah, no. That's petty compared to what she's got going on now. Yeah, so this, like, you know, Apple Jolly Rancher necklace that got her into so much damn trouble, she's, you know, weeping over it at the desk in the master bedroom later. And we see that uh, Blake's been brought in by by, uh, the butler. Yeah, I mean, we knew he had a drinking problem, but it's so bad that he's, like, fucking passed out you require servants to get to bed at this point right and to take his shoes off like that's when you know you're wasted it's a little personal to me but i guess when you have a shit ton of money and you have servants like that's just sort of part of the deal i guess but you know to those of us who didn't grow up that way or don't have that kind of money it's a little weird that some other dude's taking your shoes yeah your major domo is taking off your louboutins and and like John Forsythe literally doesn't say anything in this scene. Like he literally is past. This the was fuck a little annoying out. to me, and it also kind of went on for a bit too long. I mean, I don't know. You know, Linda Evans is great acting here, and and it's very sympathetic, and I almost you know cry with her. But but I it's think this kind of like, typifies uh, how much of a monster that Blake is because she decides, and clearly she had been thinking about this, and maybe was going to have this conversation with him when he came to bed. Sober. No, that's why she's been sitting conscious. at that desk staring at those damn emeralds that but whole like, time. She's waiting she for Blake. She has like, to leave him. But this is how bad Blake Carrington is, that she has to leave him, basically break up with him while he's unconscious, passed out on bed. Well, did did you see like how he got that way? The the I don't know if this was a directorial choice or who who decided, but you get this really nice overhead soft focus shot with Blake at the desk with, with the crystal decanter and man, he's like hammy drunk acting again. And, and like the hair is askew and he's just like, ah, I'm going to pour me another one, you know? So like he's, this is like now episode three. And I think there was an episode, a few episodes back. Like he needs to lay off the Brown stuff. Cause it's, it's doesn't lead to anything good here. Well, yeah. And even now the servants are talking, we get a scene mm-hmm. with two of the maids spilling the tea in the kitchen about how, by he's the way, who's sauced and crystal needs to, who's this bottom feeding bitch that like had her husband come over and pick up the veal that they didn't eat for dinner that night. Like that's kind of <laughs> rude. Well, yeah, and why is she sitting in there eating in her robe if her husband came in and, and picked poor up Jeanette, the meal? like you know, who sticks with the show through it all? Like she's in the kitchen, she's like, "Oh, I wanted some of that veal," and other ones like, "Oh, my my husband took it away." But you can have some of this potato soup or whatever. Yeah, like, and Jeanette's it's a delicious. sweetie pie because she doesn't even drag the other one for yeah, eating all like, the veal. Uh, I wanted veal, but settle for hot water and shoe leather but yeah we haven't seen these servants in quite some time and they have a full-on scene with multiple lines of dialogue there's been a fever in this house lately mrs carrington is so lovely Mm. 
I hate to see her trying to cope with his ways. Well, it seems to me she might try a little harder in exchange for all he gives her. But really, it's just a vehicle for Joseph to come in and be bitchy again. Joseph is sort of standing in for what's later going to be the cat fights with, with Linda Evans and Joan Collins. Um, but right now, you just get Lee Berger just sort of like chewing on on whatever nastiness is in the air that night, which apparently is... You know, my employer, you know, pays your, your signs, your paychecks and you guys better quit gossiping. Well, and they're all wrong because Blake is a total monster. Like, well, you know, but when when you're talking about the guy who pays you, you, you kind of overlook some of that stuff. Yeah. Well, and also he's in a cat fight are. with Linda and he wants uh, Crystal to get the fuck out of the house. So but all of that is like pretty minor because Crystal has literally made up the decision in her head that she's gone like she loves Blake, but she doesn't love what he's doing and she cannot stay in this house. So she gets in a cab and she pieces the fuck out of there. Which to me, this goes into like the main theme of this episode, whereas the prior episode is all about like people who don't belong together in partnerships, be it business or cheating or marriage or whatever. This episode's all about unraveling all of all of these cheater and unnecessary relationships between these these people, whoever they might be. In this case, you have Matthew and uh, Crystal, obviously, who are about to separate, or at least ostensibly here in the episode. You have Stephen and uh, Claudia, right? They're they're not going to work out. And Stephen and Ted are not going to work out in the worst possible way. You know, the things that have been set up already are now kind of unraveling as far as these like behind-the-scenes affairs that everybody's been having with each other. Yeah, on her way out of town, she calls Matthew and... You know, he's got his own drama going on, which we'll talk about, but he wants to meet up with her and he wants to make things work. It sounds like he's more invested than ever. No, but she's like, uh, that would be the wrong thing. And he's like, well, let's do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Which like kind of turned me on a it's little bit. a catchy bit. line. It's hard to say no to that. You yeah. Know? And she didn't. They met up and he wanted to go further. Another they one do... of these like uh, abandoned hillsides outside of Denver. I mean, oh, there's that's... always a place for lovers to meet, I guess. Yeah, that they love going up to the top of a hill to meet. It seems really inconvenient to me. (laughs) No, but I like that Crystal has the power to turn Matthew down because she could easily say, I'm done with Blake. I'm choosing Matthew. But that's not what this is about for her. She just doesn't want to be a prisoner in the Carrington mansion. And she doesn't also want to be a also ran for Matthew Blaisdell. And he tries to get it. And she's like, no. It might be, I think, because they share a kiss on the top of this hill, and I don't think Bo Hopkins is such a great kisser. Well, it was it was classic stage kissing. It's like tight lip, move your faces in a twisty motion. I, I don't know. He barely opened his mouth up, and yeah, he just kept turning his head side to side. It very much reeked of like high school drama club acting, but it's like we're on network television this is one you know a high rated show and this isn't daytime this is nighttime so this should be a level up and the camera's like all up in their grills so like kiss for real damn it Uh, maybe uh, linda had a no kissing clause in, in her contract well she actually seemed like she was like doing something whereas he wasn't well linda evans is clearly the better actor in all of this but yeah, but I can see why she didn't want anything to do with him because he was not looking like 
he was really giving her full full smooch. Well, okay, so the other the other half of Matthew's unraveling of of affairs here is with his wife and you know, she comes to visit at the oil field and I like that, you know, he kind of does call her out. He's like, why'd you come to see me? Like, you know, and she's like, well, I just, we need to go away and renew our marriage, you know, or, or just sort of like revalidate our commitment to each other. And he's like, but why? Like, this is so out of the ordinary. Yeah. She's coming Dang. in hot because she just met up with Steven in the park mm-hmm. for a really terrible looking sandwich. And Steven reveals that he slept with Ted Denard, his old boyfriend, the night before. She's which, like, oh, shit, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. Yeah, she's like, oh, man, I thought I turned you straight, nope. but mm, you're still Not a today, little sister. gay. So she's quaking in her boots. And what does she do? She runs to the Wedge oil sandals. field. <laughs> yeah, she runs into the arms of Matthew Blaisdell. And not this only- is really kind of a sad thing. I mean, this is like... She's been cheating on her husband, but she's clearly, I guess, got feelings for him. But I don't know if that's because they just got married too young and they've been trying to make it work. And so it's more of a sentimental thing. It's not true love. I don't know. Their marriage is very, you know, screwed up like all marriages on this show. And and yeah, here she is. She's just like reaching out to him as one person to another. And he's just like, but you're not telling me something. Oh, he knows. He clearly yeah. knows because all she wants to do is run and she doesn't really explain why. Like, okay, you're having a bad day, but that doesn't mean we're going to move to Sheboygan, Wisconsin or whatever her plan is. She doesn't really spell it out. She just wants to leave Denver. Yeah, he's got, I got Lancashire and Blaisdell Oil Company to run over here, lady. Yeah, exactly. Like, we've come in and also we like have a daughter and a house and like our life is here. So he's like, no. Also... What the fuck is going on? Explain it to me. And he suspects that she's going a little cuckoo again. The last time I went through this, it was uh, demons and bats and people listening to only conversations. I'm not getting sick again. I'm really not. It's not what you have to worry about. Well, then I have to answer no because you're not making any sense. Isn't it enough that I just asked you? I mean, isn't that enough, Matthew? It's kind of sad because she doesn't get what she wants, which is basically like, can we just like go away together and I can pretend like this affair never happened and we can like try to like heal and make whatever our marriages work going forward. And he's he's not against that per se, but he wants to know the real deal and she's not prepared and she just can't because it's going to blow shit up yeah Um, it's that classic like trying to run away to solve your problems which never works which you know which uh crystal is also doing she's like just gonna go to ohio i mean what what is that gonna solve i mean you're still married to blake so going to ohio is gonna do exactly what exactly one thing we didn't talk about is what fallon is up to this episode i mean no good (laughs) yeah after Jeff showing his ass in New Orleans last week. She takes him to task. Oh, he he showed his nipples and thighs and everything else this episode. A little bit of ball sack at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. These damn short 80s shorts, man. Yeah. No, he thinks he's just cute, as they say. And he's just going to lounge by the pool and do whatever the fuck he wants to do. Maybe go shopping, charge it to the (laughs) Carringtons. Yeah, and Fallon is not having it, but kudos to Jeff because he's like, this is what's going to make you riled up, and it works. 
She's yeah, pissed. He's got her in a stalemate, so she's going to have to make the next move. But until then, there's always lounging by the pool. Yeah, and he compares himself to a lizard, specifically an iguana, iguana. from the uh, Galapagos, which... As astute listeners might know, we went to the Galapagos a few weeks ago, so I kind of like cooed when I heard Jeff Colby talking about the Galapagos and iguanas. Do you, do you think he had been or something, or was this just someplace he'd read about in the National Geographic? I don't know. Could go either way. Could go either way. But we get our first ever pool shoving moment i know i i did like this because i mean obviously we're going to get a few of these as the show goes on but this is well in the history of soap operas i do wonder if this is the first time somebody in a soap has been pushed into a pool it It, might be uh i don't know i think the research department needs to get back to us on that but it's it seems like it could have been i don't recall anything from before but also my only soap operas from before this that i know are dark shadows which is not the same show and they don't have pools and dark shadows. no pools and dark they just shadows. have cliffside beaches which is a different thing to get pushed into but the major issue that fallon is dealing with this episode is car trouble we've all been there well i like that the the chauffeur like gives her shit like michael's all about some just more undercover misogyny here you have no appreciation a car like that cost upwards of eighty thousand dollars and you treat it like a pickup truck but it's something very very special and to be handled special like a woman i wouldn't know about that yeah, Michael's doing that same damn thing where he's like trying to like make. Oh, Fallon he's pissed because she won't ride the hobby horse anymore. I mean, that's that's his problem, right? Yeah, but she goes back and forth, so his dick is always a twitter when she walks around because he doesn't know what mood she's going to be in. Maybe she wants to climb aboard his shifter, but today she ain't. No, in she the puts mood. that shit in reverse, <laughs> and you know, I got to tell you, this is more character analysis. She knows how to reverse like a oh motherfucker. Like, I have never seen somebody reverse a car so quickly around a twisty driveway like that. This I thought was they like shot some it. Steve yeah. McQueen yeah. Fast and Furious realness. She peels out of there in reverse away from Michael the chauffeur in a way that no daredevil she don't driver. fishtail there's no understeer oversteer i mean she that was just course corrected like a surgeon i had never seen somebody do that i don't even know if i'm capable of that yeah and i've seen you go backwards up and down the beverly center parking garage for three levels yeah well tell that to all the other people there that saw it too but. <laughs> the other person running away I guess toward their problems, not from them, is Ted Denard, Stephen Carrington's lover. So they hooked up. Ted's back in the picture, and he's wanting to move in and be with Stephen and ready to just get back to the way things were. But he's got a big problem, or actually a little problem, because he's so much shorter than he is, in Blake Carrington, who pops over uh, to Stephen Carrington's new apartment and finds Ted shirtless right out of the shower fresh out of the shower ted is like rut row he did not expect to meet blake carrington in this way and he comes up with this kind of like cockamamie story that he this is why i don't answer the door if i'm not expecting somebody i just pretend i'm not home why because blake carrington might be at the door it's possible you know (laughs) 
I mean, one time it was a Jehovah's Witness, and it's like, oh, I know how to deal with you people, but you just don't know. Yeah, I'd much rather have a Jehovah's Witness than Blake Carrington because he gives Ted Denard the full court press on like who the president of Princeton was because Ted is like trying to fool mm-hmm. Blake into just thinking, oh, I'm just over here as one of Stephen Carrington's college buddies. But Blake Carrington has been around the block and also the battalion because we learned he's a vet and he was at D-Day, which is like interesting insight. Well, no, I think a lot of men of his age at that time were. Uh, I know my grandfather was. I think that's that was uh, nothing to be, you know, treated casually but i mean that certainly would have been a thing oh yeah no i mean i usually support the troops but when it comes to blake carrington i wish he probably would have died in the war because he's such a terrible person but yeah he well at least he didn't claim bone spurs (laughs) yeah i guess he did uh did serve the country but he sees right through ted denard's facade uh he sees through his chest hair too which is a little uh upsetting in some ways but i think that i'm very confused about what ted is supposed to be here because it, did he really go to princeton no he said in the last episode he went to uh loyola marymount or oh something some like other that. Yeah. lesser school Oprah school of business and spiritual uh, relations phoenix university yeah yeah something like that. so yeah so like i guess he's just sort of trying but he already knows he's trapped he's like damn like i can't play with blake because blake's already two steps ahead of me on this conversation and i guess he's saved by steven coming in the room because then he doesn't have to like continue this awkward conversation where he doesn't know anything about princeton and blake wants to sort of like dig into that you know yeah, and Steven has the same kind of reaction. He's like, oh, no, dad is here. He sees my gay life right in front of him. And as I think a lot of people back in that time had to do, they keep wearing these masks. Oh, he's my roommate. like this is going he's on. He's my friend. Oh, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you and your friend are going to go out with your other friends tonight. Are you going down to the glory hall? Tell him I said hi. <laughs> It's super awkward, but, you know, Blake keeps his facade up and just says, nice apartment you have here. See you later at the house where Stephen Carrington is going to uh, pack up the rest of his belongings and establishes independence. Well, basically, this leads to the sort of the disillusion of the relationship between Stephen and Ted. And Stephen's already sort of like had this disillusion with Claudia, which then leads to this you know, triangulation of Ted and Claudia later, which is sort of an interesting turn, I guess. I mean, the 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 lovers meet, you know, the forlorn lovers, I guess. I don't, I feel like Steven's just not really taking any responsibility in any of this, and it's a little bit irritating on this character's part. Yeah, I mean... I think he's a little bit underdeveloped in that way. Yeah, the episode was hard for me to watch because I don't really know what Steven is thinking because it seems like I don't think Steven not, knows what he's thinking. Yeah, maybe that's the point, but it doesn't seem like he's really into Ted, and it seems like he's waning on Claudia, especially considering she's married. So I don't really know what Steven wants, but the craziest thing is like Ted and Claudia both really, really want Steven. And like Al Corley's cute and all, but I can't imagine yeah, like he's just upending like conventionally your attractive. life in New York yeah. or upending your marriage to be with this like you know, 
blonde 25-year-old twink. Yeah. I guess, I mean, he is rich, so there's uh, that. He's sort of a lost 24-year-old. I, I really don't understand what these two see in him. Yeah, but. and so the craziest thing happens is that Ted goes to the bookstore and meets up with Claudia, who apparently knows who Ted is because she saw a picture of the nightstand. That's got to be every like cheater's vibrator. worst nightmare that like the people they're cheating around with like meet up independently and like, start yeah, talking about them. I like, think it's totally fine in this case because they're all fucking keeping secrets from each other. Claudia is keeping secrets because she's married to another man and Ted's keeping secrets because he's, you know, a gay man living in the closet. And so it's actually really interesting that they go into the back of the bookstore behind yeah, closed doors. We got to keep this stuff in the stock room. Yeah, but I love that all of their walls come down and they're completely honest with each other, which kind of made me realize like, okay, this is why Steven is into both of them is because they're both really open souls with their emotions and feelings. They're open souls, but they're broken people. I don't know. This, there's totally, I, there's a lot of dysfunction in all of these people's personalities. Both of these people feel like they're in a competition with each other. Tad even tells Claudia, like just give him up. But the funny thing is, is Stephen doesn't really want either one of them, which we see later when he, um, Breaks it off with Ted. I, th- a, I think this is just like dreadful bisexual melodrama. It's the old, uh, I don't know, there's like all these like European art films that always like liked to go down this road. I don't know. It's it's interesting how it shows up here in like a, a nighttime soap opera. Well, yeah. And I think it's not really about choosing between one gender or the other. It's between choosing these people. And Stephen doesn't want either one of them, it seems like. And I, I don't like agree that Stephen... In that sense. I, I think Claudia is an interesting character and I love her a lot, but I don't think the two of them make any sense together. They kind of did in the beginning, but that was more for story device, right? But here it's just like, no, they, they emotionally, they, they really are oil and water. And like the Ted thing doesn't even really, he just seems like a stand in for something. Well, speaking of story device, Steven breaks up with Ted through a note that's left in the apartment because Steven's back at the Carrington mansion packing up the rest of his belongings. And I don't know. I don't feel like Steven's the kind of guy who would break up with somebody through a note. Like that's very yeah, burger. I, kind of, sex I struggled with that. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I thought that was indicative of the character or not. Um, I do think there's parts of Steven that are not able to be confrontational. And so, you know, obviously that's why you write a letter and not just say it to their face. I think it was more about getting Ted to the Carrington mansion. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this was like cheesy Edgar Allan Poe writing in that sense. Like, this is like, how do we just introduce an element that escalates the character to another situation? And here you go. He's uh, there in Stephen's bedroom at the Carrington mansion. And it doesn't end well. Yeah, that's the understatement of the podcast. Ted is in tears at the Carrington Mansion, begging for Stephen to keep him. And I've been a little bit on the fence about this stalkery personality trait of Ted's. But for sure, he's like super desperate now. Oh, yeah. He's like beyond thirsty. At this point, he's just going to give it all up for whoever. And Stephen's not, not there for it. I do like that Steven just sort of says, if you love me the way that I love you, which that's all like past tense, right? So clearly Steven's already moved on. Just a little bit 
It's kind of cold, but also Ted's kind of annoying, so I, it doesn't bother me that much. Well, then the wildest thing that's happened in the whole course of this entire show happens. Blake Carrington comes home ostensibly from work because he kind of like passes off his briefcase to a servant, and he hears that Ted Denard is upstairs with Mr. Carrington. Well, again, it's these gossipy servants. I, I mean, I get it. Like, they're his information network, but it's like, man, they just love dishing up the details. Oh, yeah, they live to spill the tea. The, and I th- th- I like that, you know, uh, the butler is like, well, and Stephen's upstairs with a friend, a Mr. Ted Denard, and he's, like, kind of just sort of, like, enjoying this little detail that he knows, but, like, he doesn't realize that this is really going to set some shit off. And... Blake just like says, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> like, right. Like he goes into a rage and he's not even drunk, which is why I explained that he's coming home from work. Maybe like, he needs to be drunk because he wouldn't get in this rage. I don't know. Because like, yeah, this, this was very uh, intentional and I, I, it's a little bit heavy handed the way it's directed. Yeah. The directorial choices here are bonkers. We have a POV shot of Blake Oh, it's like angry up. Blake Cam, like with it's it's kind of like that uh, moment from Bram Stoker's Dracula where he turns into a werewolf and like you get that fast POV up the stairs into her bedroom. It's the same kind of like idea, like with the shaky cam and like it's implying all the mental instability. That's, yeah, like, and about Blake's to perfectly quaffed hair instantly goes haywire. It's all over the place and he's just shaking around as he goes into the room and see Stephen and Ted kind of embracing. They've, I guess, at some they're point, saying goodbye. Yeah, they've come to an understanding. Ted has kind of chilled a bit. It's that that's that like classic unfortunate irony, you know, where like he opens the door and he just sees them like he he just thinks Two they're like making men out, hugging yeah. these homosexuals in my home. Shoot them up! How dare you bring that depravity into the Carrington Mansion? Get your hands off my son. Dad, we were... I said get your hands off. And I don't know what his intention is, but he's just like pulling Ted off of Steven. And then Steven's like trying to pull Blake Oh, he's going to beat his Ted. ass. Yeah. But like, what's the point? Just like say, stop doing that. Get out of here. But it, it becomes overly physical like we've never seen blake get this physical unless he was like on the back of a horse i was just expecting like a derringer snub nose or something you know like i I, take that back we saw him get physical on top of his wife when he raped her well i guess you're right yeah so maybe he is a man of of physical action at times i really thought he was just going to do it gun style but you know here it is he's mano a mano yeah i mean unfortunately we have little john Forsythe, and the guy that plays ted denard is towering over him but it doesn't fucking matter because he pushes him, trips over one of Stephen boxes, and then blam, kablooey, John Forsythe pushes Ted Denard into the damn fireplace, knocks him cold. And by cold, I mean dead. Yeah, it's on this like uh, fire cold and iron thing. I mean, like whoever knew that would ever kill somebody. But anyway, uh, and, and then you... You get these like bad, like sad eye, like the big eye pictures from from Fallon, and right, Fallon <laughs> and walks in because she hears this tussle, and Pamela Sue Barton is just giving re 
action. Well, and again, you're being set up because like Blake already said in front of everybody and God, like I'm going to kill him. And then like, here's Fallon watching it all happen. So you've got all the like bits and pieces you need for your murder mystery at the court trial. That's probably about to happen. And Steven is like, You've killed him. He's dead. You know. It's yeah. Like, if you didn't just think so he was dead, then you do have <laughs> Stephen say he's dead. Uh, nobody's calling for nine one one or anything. This is not a way to handle an emergency. Because well, these are rich folks, and and they have their own rules. And they're like, well, how can we just kind of like tidily clean this up and not not have this in the papers tomorrow morning? But yeah, I don't know who to blame in this whole altercation. Obviously, Blake is way more unhinged than he needs to be. But also, Stephen shouldn't have left that box out because that box is really what did Ted in because he tripped over that and that's what forced him to hit his head on the fireplace. It wasn't Blake pushing him across the room that did that? It was, but I don't think he would have hit the fireplace had the box not I don't been want there. you on my jury. <laughs> Next. <laughs> well, let's talk about our looks of the week. I don't know about you, but you know what look I was loving? Mr. Channing the Appraiser. Really? Yes. He had that bow tie with that little square pattern. And then he had his monocle that he was using. I think this is a cop out. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. I thought Mr. Channing was serving men's wear realness. I don't think a lot of the women's looks were up to snuff. There were some nice dresses here and there, but for the most part, nobody was wowing me. When Mr. Channing came on the screen, and yes, admittedly, the actor was giving the performance of his life, I just, I don't know, I was eating it up. What did you like? What was your look of the week? Well, he was definitely sharp, and he he looked like a character as much as he was acting like a character, so mm-hmm. I appreciate your your perspective on that one. I mean... Look, Blake's suits are certainly not very interesting in this episode or really any episode. But as far as the ladies go, I, I'm i actually, I'm really into Fallon's look poolside in the beginning. It's a little bit obvious, but I mean, it's like head to toe red. And here you have another one of your classic jumpsuits in a blousey material, you know, so it's like, how many of these have you ever found at the thrift store? Well, maybe not now, but, you know, back in the day. But, you know, this was, everybody had this jumpsuit, but she's doing it. And I like the high collar on it, um, which is a new way to do it, because before it's usually, like, low cut. Yeah. Um, and and I like that it's paired with the uh, the red pumps that have the, the open toe and the, the white edging on them. So it's just a little bit of white against everything else that's red. And the worst part about it is she gets pushed in the pool wearing it. I it's was going like, to say, I, my favorite part about this outfit is the fact that she uh, swam in it because I don't know. It's another That's quite jumpsuit. a swimsuit lady. It's another jumpsuit from Fallon. And I don't know. I'm a little bored by her jumpsuits. And this one wasn't taking the cake for me. Well, Kyler, thank you so much for joining me again on another episode of Dynasty as They Wanna Be. Man, this is always so much fun. It's so much fun. This is becoming the highlight of my week, talking about Dynasty. And like we were saying at the beginning of the episode, they're hitting a stride here. And I think they've really found the tone. And I can see like why they're going to go in the directions they're going to Man, just go you in. wait. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And I can't wait. 
I mean, I guess I can because I just said I'm waiting. But uh, we're headed into the home run of the first season. And I can't wait to see what happens with this murder and with the Carringtons and the Colbys and the Blaze. Okay. I actually, can't wait for the spinoff when Crystal's like living in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, we know that's not going to stick. But thank you so much for joining me. And I want to thank the listeners. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been listening every week and you're into this journey that we're going on watching Dynasty together, leave a review. Tell your friends. We could use some support or just like more people listening because we want to have fun. You guys are starting to kind of like tweet with us and get with us on social media. And we want to keep that going because we are having a blast. Kaboom. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. You guys, please be careful around any boxes on the floor. That's what this episode really taught us. And watch out for fireplace hardware. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.